We go to a monastery somewhere outside Salzburg. Brother Dan, do you want to lead us in prayer today? Our Jesse, who art in Austria, hallowed be thy name. Thy titles come, thy will be done in Salzburg as in New York. Give us this day our daily stein and forgive us our offside as we forgive offside against us and lead us not into relegation and deliver us from Klinsmen. Amen. Amen. This is Running on Fumes, an FC Belvedere Oasis pod. Brought to you by Clorox, the official performance drink of FC Belvedere Oasis. More than often I drive so Welcome to the inaugural Running on Fumes podcast, the only podcast dedicated to FC Belvedere Oasis. I'm your host, Keith Ponywaz, and I'm joined by Dan Fallon. But wait, you say, isn't this just the forwards backwards podcast? Absolutely not. Totally different. Those two guys that hosted that podcast have had a religious conversion and are now in a monastery outside of Salzburg. For instance, that Keith might call that Dan the Fozzie Bear to his Kermit the Frog. But that doesn't happen here. That podcast was a frivolous podcast hosted by frivolous people for a serious team. This is a serious podcast for a frivolous made-up team. How serious? We believe pro-rel will fix everything wrong with American soccer. How serious? We even have sponsors. This episode is sponsored by The Claw Machine at Belvedere Oasis. On the other podcast, they might welcome our guest today by referring to him as the Willy Wonka, Che Guevara, Johnny Appleseed, Doc Brown, Ted Kaczynski, and Mr. Peabody of American soccer. Not here. Here, he is simply Peter Wilt, sporting director of FC Belvedere Oasis. Welcome, Peter. It's great to be here. Uh, Is Doc Brown a new one? That is a new one. I I figured a little uh, Back to the Future reference. I like that. And I'm really excited uh, to be here representing FC Belvedere Oasis, uh, still undefeated, after all these years. And we're really looking forward to diving into the, into the roster assembly this year. Um, you know, provided be a fluid one. <laughs> <laughs> On the other podcast, they might joke that uh, Chicago local 134 has seen membership grow dramatically since Maggie Zubek appeared on the forwards backwards podcast with both of its listeners. But this is a serious pod, and we know that the Chicago Local 134 membership has grown because of her hard work and dedication and biking skills, and also because of fantastic events like their Fopening Day tailgate. Did I get the title right, Maggie? That is correct. Fopening Day has come and gone. And so tell us a little bit about Fopening Day and what all went into it. How did the idea come about? Was it a, a collaboration between the club and you guys? Did somebody have the idea first? What, what went on there? Yeah, so um, the idea for the opening day tailgate actually came from Revolution Brewing. Um, we established a prim- partnership with them in the off-season at some point um, that happened sort of very fluidly. They, they've been excellent partners from the beginning, and um, they're uh, – our our contact there had the idea, John Carruthers, um, who runs their social media. And he, he asked if it was something we'd be interested in. And we were like, Oh yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, that's a great idea, actually. <laughs> um, he's actually now a, a local 134 member, too. So it came from member and brew, brewing representative, John Crothers. Um, so then we just sort of ran with it. Um, the team, we got the team on board. Um, and so they started promoting it along with Revolution. And I think we had we had a couple hundred people in attendance, which was which was pretty cool. Yeah. Including uh, some members of the team as well. I saw a tweet that somebody couldn't believe that Alyssa Nair uh, ordered takeout from AJ Hudson's in in Chicago. Yeah, I feel like that was my like most starstruck moment of the day. Like <laughs> Alyssa Nair stars and I, are just like us. They uh, <laughs> <laughs> right order they fried even foods. Eat AJ Hudson's with us. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean that was very cool. Um, a lot of the players enjoyed. Um, Revolution Beer, they put together a little promotional pack that was like a really great deal. It was like almost 40 beers for $34. So um, so I, I'm going to be working my way through the those for a little while. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the players were, I, I mean, I think, you know, um, if you play for a team, a professional soccer player, you're in market and um you know, you're moving around a lot and you haven't necessarily had time to create a community organically. So the team is your community. And um, so we were really excited to be able to offer the players an alternative to what would have been a big day in their lives as well as all of ours, um, you know, the reopening of the season. So um, we all had a lot of fun. Um, and we even were able to make some um, some TIFO, some at-home TIFO, which people really blew me away on that too. Like some some truly like next level arts and crafts going on in everyone's homes so and a couple a couple of players uh, also participated right in the tifo comp- competition yeah that might, i don't know i yeah between a listener ordering aj hudson's for lunch and morgan brian and danielle coloprico making a full tifo out of an old shower curtain uh, <laughs> I mean, it was a really, like, it was an opening day that will go down in history. And we're, we're actually going to fly that TIFO the next time we're, we're able to. So that's pretty exciting. I, I, I should know. This all reinforces the fact that soccer is kind of optional in all of this. Like, <laughs> right, exactly. like I always talk about, like, people, I, you know, like, I still play a little bit of over 40s. And I say I don't really like playing soccer. It's just I get to drink beer after the game. And I think it's kind of reinforces the soccer optional piece of the puzzle. Yeah, we've evolved beyond the need for soccer. <laughs> speaking of the drinking piece, we do want to say uh, you should, uh, you know, tip your bartenders, uh, tipyourserver.org slash MSN, or you can uh, go to the virtual Highbury via Venmo and tip Joe Katz, Joe-Katz-16. Uh, on the other podcast, they would say they were hosting it at the virtual highbury because they're degenerate drunks. On this podcast, we welcome the spirit of community that our local taverns bring us. So that's why uh, we, we're proud to host it from the virtual highbury. So uh, when I reached out to, to Peter, uh, Peter said, you got to have Maggie on if we're going to talk about the Red Stars. And Maggie was, you were very, very excited to, to do this podcast. And so wanted to to maybe see if you had an, uh, an initial question for Peter or Peter, you had an initial question for Maggie. Well, I do Maggie. So yeah, I've been able to work with the, the red stars and with the, a lot of men's teams. And I, I find the dynamic of working with the athletes different. Um, the, the, the women's players seem so much more engaged with the community and willing to do that. 
what is you do you have do you find this that true and then if so why well i have uh little to let's say no experience working with men's teams. <laughs> so I, I don't have too much means for comparison, but um, I do think, um, and, and I guess it's interesting to hear you say that because I, I think you've, you've worked with teams on every scale of sort of, you know, teams that are startups that are, that don't have the kind of um, like large scale that an MLS team would have at, you know, now with a large power distance between players and, and uh, the community. Um, you know, I, I think in some ways in women's soccer, they, there's not enough power distance <laughs> um, that players are a little too vulnerable to the, the whims of the fans. Um, so I, I, you know, I, that's something that I think in the past couple of years, we've tried to sort of build for them um, a little bit of security in, in, uh, and respect for them as res professionals, like give them a little bit of distance. And I think when you do give them that distance, that's when you start building a relationship with the players as a community that's sort of um, mutually beneficial. So um, yeah, we, it's, it's interesting to watch that process happen over the years with a team like the Red Stars. One player I've been fascinated with for, through social media uh, is, is Yuki Nagasato. Yuki is a force, a whirlwind. There seems to be nothing she can't do, and she is a spirit that transcends a computer screen, which is how I know her. Um, <laughs> what can you tell us about Yuki? Oh my gosh. I don't know if, um, if Rory knew exactly what he was signing up for when he, when he brought Yuki on. I mean, I think, I think she's more than anyone ever could have guessed she would be. Um, if you didn't, I mean, if you didn't know her, um, previously, but yeah, she is, um, she's such an asset to the team, uh, just in her work ethic and her creativity and, um, you know, I mean, she's, she's constantly surprising us. She is um, faster than she was when she was younger. What she says is because this is her like big notorious claim. She says she has gotten faster because she started drumming and the kickstand of the drum is <laughs> helping her <laughs> grow muscle on her legs. Um, I think that's, she, I don't think she's explained it all the way through that way, but like pretty much what she said is I'm faster because I, I learned to drum <laughs> and I don't know, like rhythm, there's theories about the kickstand it's, but, and, and, you know, so she, she plays in this band called Bruise Broken Band. And, um, I think did on the last podcast, did we talk about, we talked about that concert, the concert that we threw for them, um, and yeah, I mean, I think that was a great example too of how um, the players are are part of the community. Yuki has totally embraced Chicago um, and, you know, lives here as a Chicagoan in a way not a lot of players do. Um, and yeah, she's, she's such a joy to have on the team. I think that spirit that she brings is so important to the locker room. It brings everyone together forward Madison has a player like that, that I'm not sure most forward Madison fans are aware of, but Nizzy is that player. Uh, he doesn't see the field much, uh, but he is the almost a cult hero <laughs> within uh, the locker room. And I think it's really important for every team to have a, a player like that 
that keeps the energy uh, alive uh, through the course of what can be a very long season. Peter, I mean, you know, you asked the question, so I'll kind of turn it back to you. Um, talking about men's players for a second, did you do you see a difference as you kind of move up the pyramid? Are, do you find players in lower divisions to, to maybe understand a little bit more that like, hey, to make this viable, we got it. we need to be a little bit more engaged with the community. It's it's interesting when MLS started, um, and I didn't join MLS in until the year after it started. I started with the fire in 97. The league started in 96. Uh, but those early years of MLS, the players were so, I'll say, engaged with the community. But that's probably not standing up. Maybe it was more like appreciative of what they had. And it was because they all came from lower division American soccer. Not all of them, but 90% of them came from lower division American soccer where they were taking the bus to games. They were getting, you know, maybe if they're lucky, 20 bucks uh, per diem. Uh, they, they saw how hard they had to work and people had to work just to get to that level. And so they seemed to work harder to spread the message, be willing to do player appearances, sign autographs, all of that. By the time I left MLS in 06, um, that had started to fade. (laughs) 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 You had a new generation of players coming in who kind of assumed this is how it's always been. This is uh, what what they deserve. And I I think the difference I've seen between male athletes and female athletes, some of it isn't just um, their environment. Uh, It's they're more their DNA. I, I think guys, uh, athletes maybe tend to be, I'll, I'll say shy, maybe the, the, the nice word. Uh, whereas, you know, the women athletes, they really see this as a passion, um, a mission that it's their responsibility to put the work in for the next generation. There's more of a sense of that stewardship. And one of the things that we had, we had talked about last time on the podcast as well, Maggie was, you know, that one of the worries continuing to haunt, you know, uh, the professional soccer leagues in the, in the United States for women is the instability, you know, the, the things could, could not be around. Um, and do you think that plays into that, you know, things haven't for the women's professional teams, even though if you look, you know, in terms of attendance globally, it's, you know, leader and that sort of thing, that it hasn't yet made it in the same way as the men's game. And so you can't, take it for granted? Do you think that plays into it a little bit? Yeah, certainly. I think that um, women's soccer is still in the survivalist mindset of its history. You know, it's, uh, I think there's, um, there's a lot of pressure on everyone involved to make sure that it is, um, that it's viable. And so that means, that means giving everything that you can give to it. And, and hopefully as it grows, it won't require quite as much, but still maintain that community mindedness. I think it's a balance. And, and this, you know, for, for people who have observed this up close, Peter and, and Maggie, um, when we talked to Eric Winalda on the, on the zoom call, he said, you know, the guys felt that's like a humble, were, that's a humble brag. <laughs> Name brag. Uh, well, when, when Peter was being talked at by Paul Caligiuri, <laughs> um, but they, 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 that they, 
he kind of said that that the the pressure took its toll on him and, and you know he felt a, a kind of sense of burnout um do when you talk to the players do they feel that pressure does it burn them out do you think you know are they feeling it acutely in the in that way is that for maggie or me both of you maggie ladies first <laughs> um actually you know what i think um i think there's a, a i can only speak for the red stars and i think that um a very positive culture has been very carefully built and um and so, I mean, I, I haven't had extensive conversations with players, but when I have, um, I think they are, they're very excited about being part of the Red Stars community, at least the players that we have on the team now, you know, I mean, and it, it's certainly a generalization. <laughs> I'm sure that different players have different takes, but um, generally you do find that um, they're really excited about the Red Stars community and specifically about what's growing as far as supporters culture. I think that's something in the past year specifically um, we're evolving into something that didn't exist before. Yeah, you're right. It's about culture and environment and I think it can happen or not happen at any level. Um, in general, I think lower division soccer um, in, in women's soccer is probably a better environment or atmosphere for creating that culture. You know, as we're speaking, I actually came across my old uh, Chicago Red Stars business card. And I noticed that we had our mission statement uh, printed on the back of the business card. It's very succinct. It says, serve, entertain, and succeed. Uh, and um, I'd forgotten about it. I know we wanted it to be short so we Peter, could remember. Ju- Peter, just a reminder, this is a podcast, so nobody at home could see that. <laughs> That's why I was audibly uh, describing it. <laughs> and doing an excellent job, like yeah. I might add, Peter. Thank uh, you, Dan. Uh, uh, Ignore the peanut gallery. <laughs> <laughs> I often do. But I think you know, we put that word serve at the beginning of it because we wanted to make a conscious effort that it was our responsibility to serve the community, that we were there for them, not uh, vice versa. And entertainment is, of course, a, a core of what uh, any sports team does. And succeed, I think, was in there uh, because, you know, we're all, we were, you know, cautious is maybe a uh, smaller word than it should be. We were worried that we weren't going to succeed. And, you know, uh, in a certain scale, we did not succeed. We were on the shoulders of... Um, WUSA, which had not succeeded, and we'd uh, taken some what we thought were extreme measures to make sure we would succeed. Fortunately, the Red Stars did. Unfortunately, WPS did not. Uh, But we were very conscious that the long-term success or viability was what we were fighting for. I mean, the fact that you would even think to put a kind of mission statement on your business card, I think, speaks to um, kind of a difference in how you're how you're viewing a club. You know, I think most, you know, mainstream male professional sports teams just say we are the professional team in blank league, and just you know that's that's just who we are. But I think um, having a thoughtful process about what you're trying to do and achieve is pretty pretty different and important. Yeah, I think the whole um, for me the Red Stars experience and I was part of just the startup of the whole, the launch of the league uh, 
was very different than anything I've done before or probably since. Uh, there was that sense of, of mission that was involved more so than any other project I've done. Um, related to that, um, you know, and, and Maggie, I'll, feel free to jump in at this point with any sort of questions that you have for Peter. Um, you know, 2006, you, you transitioned over from, from the fire to, to uh, the Red Stars. What, what, how'd that go? How, how'd that happen? Um, you know, I know you well, got let a- go from the, from the fire. I don't want to make you relive, you know, that painful memory. Ah, really? No. Yeah. Uh, breaking news. You heard it here first, Peter, you're no longer GM of the fire. Um, um but yeah. So how, how did it work that you transitioned over to that? So you missed a part. Yeah. 2000. You started was- another team in there somewhere. I tried. I failed. Okay. Uh, it was Milwaukee, uh, MLS. Okay. We tried to get an MLS team in Milwaukee. Uh, worked for about a year and a half on that. Uh, during that period, I was approached by uh, Shek Borkowski. Shek Borkowski was co-founder and head coach of um, uh, FC Indiana, which was a WPSL team, a women's team based in Goshen, Indiana, the thriving metropolis of Goshen, Indiana. <laughs> And believe it or not, in 2007, 2006 era, Goshen, Indiana was the home of the world's best women's soccer team. I mean, it is remarkable that this town of 10,000 people maybe uh, had, and not like it was a suburb of Chicago or Indianapolis or something. Goshen, Indiana is, I think it's a, I don't want to say Amish, but it's, it's, a Christian community is some, some would call cult. Some would say sect. Isn't there <laughs> a, a small liberal arts college in Goshen? Sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah. One of my Goshen favorite State. musicians is one of my favorite musicians is from Goshen. Who's that? Strand of Oaks. <gasps> Fa- fabulous indie rock musician from Goshen. And I think Billy Sunday, the um, uh, Chicago Cub and an evangelist is from Goshen as well. That would fit your previous description. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, uh, Shek Borkowski is a co-founder <laughs> um, with a guy named Gary Weaver, and uh, he's also the, the head coach, Shek is. And uh, he approached me for help on, on how to um, uh, get a team in a new professional women's league, which didn't exist yet. So we went to lunch at a place called Turner Hall in Milwaukee, which you may be familiar with. And, out of hula hands, uh, huh? I thought we did not. Not of hula hands this time. Hula hands. The current Las Vegas Lights owner, Brett Lashbrook, was my intern. He for this meeting, and that's the first time I met Chuck Borkowski. And we kept in touch. And when uh, WPS became more of a real thing, that this might happen. It didn't have a name yet, but people were coming together. Sheck reached out to me uh, based on those earlier conversations and asked if I would uh, help launch the team. Uh, so Sheck ended up being a co-owner. We recruited, boy, a bunch. I'll say six or seven investors, including Arnim Whistler, um, the current sole owner of the Chicago Red Stars, uh, to be our investors. And um, uh, we put it together. It took a couple of years. We, we were delayed a year, uh, not on the Red Stars side as much as the league side. We needed to get a critical mass of teams, and it took an extra year uh, to get that going. Um, but that was uh, the launch of the Red Stars. 
a fateful day in history. Yeah. Yeah. I think I had the fish fry. Potato pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> Never forget a meal. Uh, and, and, and so, um, you know, my, my question is, since you only race things at halftime, that's your go-to. Do you remember what you made those initial Chicago Red Stars teams race at, race at halftime, Peter? Oh, you know, that's a great question. I don't recall. Um, we did, you know what we did back then, I think, which was unusual at the time, was those uh, bubble uh, games where you, you, you climbed inside of a giant bubble and oh, yeah. tried to play soccer. And you bumped each other. I, I now refuse to do that because of insurance reasons. Uh, <laughs> there is a decent chance of breaking your neck in one of those things. So True. there's a lot. I, of, there's a, I've done it I, at, a, at the ha- halftime of a Red Stars game, actually. Uh, my I, did, I didn't sue Arnhem, but maybe I could have. <laughs> there's been a lot of Twitter chatter that that's going to be the only way that professional soccer can come back. Right. <laughs> a six foot bubble. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. If it's three foot uh, radius and then the other guy is a three foot <laughs> radius, I think it's physically impossible to get within six feet. We're not, we're not a math talk. Keith, Keith, we should mention in, in, in shocking breaking news today, uh, USL did announce that the, uh, they have extended the, uh, the suspension of the season now indefinitely. Uh, you heard it here first. For all of you who thought matches were we're going to come back fast and furious on May, May 10th. <laughs> you, you can stop holding your breath. So, uh, uh, By the way, again, another example of how this is a serious podcast. We break news. <laughs> and that's for USL Championship and League One. They did announce that USL it, League two, two is canceled. Correct, which I think... For so the year. This, this felt like one of those, uh, you know, yeah, just... Yeah, we were, we've been waiting for this news. Thank you for letting us know. So. Yeah. In other words, yeah, in other news, the, the sun will set in the, in the West. Um, well, it's kind of weird because the Des Moines Menace announced that the season, their season wasn't going to be done in the morning. And they announced it as if they were the only team in the league that was going to make that announcement. And then an hour later, the league announces, oh, yeah, the rest of us are doing it too. When in reality, Des Moines is in one of those states where they probably could play soccer tomorrow if they wanted to because the governor's nuts. As long as it's not a meatpacking plant. Yeah, I mean, they could just play the entire – everyone could just move to Des Moines yeah, just, and we could just play in Des Moines. It's, it's, it's like the Cayman Islands for tax, tax evasion. <laughs> Iowa and for coron- And coronavirus. Social, social distancing evasion. Um, Peter, you know – Fun the, fact, I've been to 46 states but not Iowa – and I live next door to it, and I am definitely never going there now. They have proven to me that they are not worthy of me visiting their state. What are the other three missing ones, Dan? Uh, Oklahoma, another good one that I'll never go to after this coronavirus thing. Uh, If the Tiger King were still gone, would you go to Oklahoma? No, only to save the Tigers. Um, Alaska? Can we guess the 50th? What's that? Can we guess on the 50th one? Yeah, go for it. So Iowa, Oklahoma, uh, and Alaska. Hawaii. Say it's an ex- ex- no, 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 no. I'll say he has been to Hawaii. Yep. Um, oh, boy. An extreme one. So I'm thinking like a Maine or an Idaho. North Dakota is the hardest one for so many people. I'll go North Dakota. I've been there. I'll give you – so I lived in Idaho, but it's actually – it's around there. So it should be somewhere I have been, but I haven't. Maggie? Montana. No, been there. Huh. Done that. What's what you've been to all fifty, right, Peter? 
yeah. So by that the time you were be fifty, that was Washington. Utah. No Utah. No. I've been to the airport, but that doesn't count. No. no. I don't know how many states I've been to. Peter, you did all fifty by your fiftieth birthday. I believe there was a Whitefish Bay patch column on that. Wasn't that? <laughs> that was my goal. Yeah, the fiftieth one was North Dakota. It is a hard one to get to unless there's no reason to go there unless you're driving to Winnipeg. There's there's no reason. <laughs> or driving to northern or driving to northern Idaho, which I did. <laughs> I'm from Wisconsin, so I I have driven to Winnipeg. So nice. Yeah, for a World Cup match. Oh, is that the yeah. only time you've been to uh, North Dakota? So I mean, I guess yeah. I, te- te- I wouldn't I wouldn't count it, but technically, I've been to North Dakota. We oh, you drive through it. Drive through counts. A drive through counts. Okay, well Absolutely. then, yeah. Then I've been to North Dakota. What was it like going to a women's World Cup match in Winnipeg? It was actually lovely. Um, we it was poorly planned. Uh, we um, the World Cup like or the World Cup. no our trip? <laughs> there, our trip there, the there's Cup. some you know I still kind of side with the players on this artificial turf thing. So I oh see. that yeah that was a that was a disaster. But um, no, we hadn't really put the pieces together that Winnipeg is not a large town and the Women's World Cup is a large event, and so we were very laissez-faire about our accommodations planning so we hadn't booked any kind of hotel room or anything um and we're getting into a situation where we were looking up like 24-hour diners and like what you know how are we going to make this work um and actually met a portland thorns fan i mean they there are good ones out there i guess Um, (laughs) a red stars tailgate she had come down to watch the thorns play and um we she was from Winnipeg and heard us talking about like that we were gonna be like at a twenty four hour Tim Hortons uh, to watch the game and um, and offered us a place in her guest bedroom and we went and stayed at her house so um, Nikki her name was and we we were not murdered uh, she made, <laughs> she and her daughters and her husband made us breakfast in the morning it was like a dream it was like amazing the women's soccer community is pretty cool so um yeah it was a lovely time in winnipeg canada's pretty safe not too many uh, bad murders. Yeah, these were americans <laughs> she was canadian she was a canadian oh she was Can- okay all right yeah, yeah. so we, tr- we trusted her <laughs> that sounds a lot safer <laughs> yeah we wouldn't have trusted an oregonian <laughs> nobody trusts us anymore <laughs> Uh, Peter, what I was kind of curious about was the transition from, did, did people on either side look at you kind of weird that you'd move from the men's game to the women's game or was that, yes. that transition, you know, and I have kind of thoughts about it having grown up when I did. And I don't know if Dan, you have, have these as well, but I was kind of curious if there was any, you know, looking at you odd from, from that transition uh, the only people that looked at me at were the new Chicago fire management. <laughs> they were not too pleased um, because we, we struck a, a lease deal to play at Toyota park. So we became the second tenant at Toyota park. And I think my, they gave us an office there, but they put us in a trailer in the parking lot. So we, we were, I'm noticing a, a pattern in your career, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it was true. Um, yeah, I, I was still on the Chicago 
fire charity board until that time. And then when I moved into their parking lot, they thought I was getting a little too close and they kicked me off their, their charity board. So I, I think they were a, a little intimidated uh, or I don't know, but it, it, it was not the best relationship yeah. at the time. And I think maybe the best thing I did for the Red Stars relationship with the fire was to leave the Red Stars because now they actually have a very good relationship and they play double headers and they all get along. Uh, Maggie, would would you agree that Peter leaving was the best thing that he could have ever done? <laughs> I, I may have I left mean, some parts out there. <laughs> I mean, I think it, the important subtext here for ever, for anyone listening is that Peter and I have no overlap in our involvement with the, with the Red Stars. So, um, so uh, I started supporting the Red Stars only at the outside of the NWSL. So, my. Any WPS stories are all ancient history to me. Um, and my, I, I carry the torch from 2013 onward as far as um, knowledge of, of what was happening with the Red Stars. So um, so I'll, I'll go with no comment on the Chicago <laughs> Fire relationship. Um, yeah, it, seem, it, seems to be, it seems to be decent right now. I'm happy to say we're now the primary tenants of, of uh, the former Toyota Park, though. Um, which is great. Very exciting. Seat Geek Stadium. The game, as we say. <laughs> the game. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, no, because, uh, Peter, I was kind of curious because I think, you know, and, and this came up uh, when uh, in Chicago they were talking about the 10 best athletes after uh, Michael Jordan left town. And uh, the, the Red Stars community advocated for, I think, justly Sam Kerr and uh and uh Julie Ertz as well as two kind of big Chicago stars of the that you know the last 20 years or so and I I get the sense and and Dan maybe you know Peter that there's less of of a threat or a, a view of women's soccer as not being on the same level as men's soccer in in the soccer community itself. Whereas a lot of that comes from, um, other sports, you know, people who watch the NBA, uh, you know, Oh, WNBA, what is that? Uh, whereas I think a lot of men's, uh, soccer fans are, are also women's soccer fans just because at least when I was growing up, you were so, you just wanted soccer, you know? So you would want, you know, we would tape, I taped the 1991 world cup in China overnight and would watch that the next day because we just wanted soccer. And there was, you know, this sort of shared passion for something that, that a lot of people didn't have. And that kind of brought fans of both sports, you know, or the women's version and and the men's version of the same sport really (laughs) together in a way that it didn't necessarily happen with, you know, I think in basketball and, and things like that. I don't know if, other people have uh, thoughts about that or observations. Dan, we're about the same age, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I can say from my own experience that, you know, most of my happy moments watching national team matches are <laughs> women's national team matches um, where we actually win things. And, um, uh, you know, not that I don't have some great memories from going to the 2006 world cup and 94 world cup and things like that, but um you know, for me personally, I've never, you know, I have a lot of respect for what 
the women's game has been like in the United States. Um, I don't view it as a, as a, as a different entity. Um, so, and I would love to see a team here at Breeze. I mean, I think, uh, you know, maybe not top, top division, but I, you know, I don't know if we're big enough to, to support that here in Madison, although maybe we are. Um, but I think a team here would thrive given the community that we have and the soccer community that we have. Yeah, I think, uh, Keith, you're right that um, men's and women's soccer in the United States has always felt like there's a chip on the shoulders of, of both. Uh, so they've both been kind of fighting uh, outwards to the general sports community that we deserve a, a higher platform. Um, you know, my, my support of women's soccer also goes back to the 91 uh, what was called, I think, the Women's World Championship. Yeah, indeed. And it was, it was sponsored by, I want to say, like, Nokia. Snickers. Some, Snickers, that's right. Yeah, brought to you by <laughs> Snickers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. People and do you remember how long the games were, Peter? Were they 80 minutes? They were 80-minute games because you know, <laughs> Seth Blatter and his infinite mm-hmm. wisdom yeah. thought that, you know, Michelle Akers' stall couldn't run for 90 minutes. Yeah, we I was uh, running an yeah. indoor team at the time, the <laughs> Chicago Power, and we honored uh, the Women's World Cup um, champions at, at one of our games. I remember we, we, we got the trophy uh, at the game, and uh, a few of the players, I remember uh, the MVP of the tournament, Karen Jennings, uh, later Karen Jennings Cabara, was one of them, as well as Joy Biefeld, who became Joy Fawcett, and... Um, we had fans of being able to take the pictures with uh, these world champions. And it was, it was so cool. And then I, I later became a big admirer of, of Tiffany Milbrett and, and fans of, uh, of her and um, the, the women's successes of 99, the fire. Uh, we actually hosted um, the 99 Chicago venue um, worked out of our office. So the executive director of the Chicago venue was in our office and the fire staff all worked uh, for the soldier field host as, as, uh, of the games. And that was, it was wonderful because as Dan said, it's great to be part of a winner. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and the women have always uh, been that. Uh, and I agree, Dan, I think women's uh, high level soccer in Madison would be a big hit. Uh, UW Madison has had good support for women's hockey, women's volleyball, women's basketball. And I think when the time comes for a high level women's soccer team in Madison playing at Bree Stevens Field, it will be really well supported. We would love to come up and cheer against you. <laughs> it, was supposed, <laughs> it was supposed to happen last month or earlier this month. Yeah. Darn it. Yeah. Yeah, we were so close. We were we were so excited for that event too, um, and then just got foiled. Yeah. Now, um, Maggie, is I did you play soccer growing up, or did you you? And so this is also one of the things I think that's changed as well about soccer, both on the men's and women's side, is that you didn't play and and have gotten into it. Most of the sort of fans of of Dan and I's era probably played. You know, so I'm kind of curious as how to how you got into you know women's soccer without playing and and you know why soccer not basketball or any other sport yeah well it's yeah it is funny that is always the question and I always feel a little funny saying like that I didn't like I like somehow I should have played (laughs) um but then I ask people you know if you're a fan of the bears do people ask you if you played football like no like you're just like watching it 
Um, so, well, I think if you're a fan of the Bears at this point, you probably don't like football yeah, all that much you're anymore. You're just a mascot. <laughs> um, I, yeah, um, I guess. I mean, it really is. I mean, mo- so many people who are fans of women's soccer, I mean, the, the answer is the women's national team. It's actually funny. Peter brought up the 99 World Cup, um, and that actually – I went to a game. I won't say how old I was. <laughs> I was little – um, but I went to a game with my dad at Soldier Field, um, which is where, that's where it was, right? That was the venue? Yeah. Okay. Nigeria, U.S. Yeah. So I went, I went with my dad and that was the first time I ever went to Chicago, which is kind of funny. I never had really thought about that before, but I remember looking at Lake Michigan and like asking if it was dyed blue because we're from Lake Erie <laughs> region, <laughs> which is not as glimmering and, and uh, beautiful as Lake Michigan. So catches um, on fire every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old, I love Lake Erie. Nothing, I mean, nothing against Lake Erie, but um, it is a different, <laughs> a different color. But uh, yeah, I was a huge fan of the 99 World Cup team. Um, I, uh, well, I'll say how old, I was eight years old at the time. And, um, so I was born the same year of the first women's world cup. And, uh, when Brandy Chastain did her infamous goal celebration with the sports bra and whatever, I actually ran out of the house and imitated her, which <laughs> like very indecent exposure, I guess, but um, I didn't have a sports bra. <laughs> but, uh, so that's my women's soccer origin story. <laughs> um, and then I don't, and then I just kind of would follow the national team on and off for, you know, in the, in the peaks and valleys of, um, of, you know, attention for the team. Um, and I never tapped into a league until the NWSL because again, I, there was no Lake Erie, lake monster team for me to follow. <laughs> um, so it wasn't until I was in Chicago, right place, right time. And the NWSL got going and I don't, it, I, I have said this so many times, but I don't exactly know why I got as into it as I did, but it just like hit me at the right time. And I started volunteering for the team and, and then started supporting the team and the rest is history. But um yeah, the national team is the entree for almost everyone. And then it's cool to see the transition from national team fans to real community focused local team fans. That's that's the big the big switch that's happening right now. Uh, I have a question for you, Maggie, about um coaches in NWSL. Do you think there should be a greater effort for women coaches and also women administrators? Uh, uh, of the teams. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I would love to see more women coach coaching in the NWSL. I mean, um, I, I hope that that will happen as, as coach, you know, coach more women who grew up in the game get trained as coaches. And I mean, I, um, and then as far as administrators, I know that uh, Steph, Stephanie McCaffrey is going to Wharton Business School. She recently did an interview where she said, you know, I'm going to business school because my goal is to own an NWSL team. And I mean, that was, that's just like so exciting to hear. Like if there's, if there's a woman with, with a lot of money who's listening to this, <laughs> if you want to buy a team, if you want to like co-own a team, uh, 
you can DM at Chicago Local 134 <laughs> on Instagram and we'll, we'll hook you up. Um, I would love to see more, more women owning teams, um, owning both NWSL teams, WNBA teams. Like we need to own our own, own our own assets here. You know, Peter, your okay. question got me thinking and I, I, forgive me if I'm kind of missing a few obvious ones, but it doesn't seem like some of our, a lot of our top, women from the national team or professionally have gone into coaching once they've gotten out of their careers. And I don't know if that's a case of they, you know, if you're kind of a Mia Hamm, you can make a lot more money doing other things. Um, but it, it doesn't seem as prevalent as you see in men's sports where kind of you get a group of them that then go into coaching. Yeah. Well, I think a little bit of both. You're right. Broadcast has certainly attracted several of the national team players. Um, I think the collegiate game has uh, found roles for a number of the, the national team players. Uh, the pro game hasn't. And I, I, I think the pro game has a responsibility to um, hire more women, both administrators and as coaches. I mean, this is even more so than in men's sports with the efforts of uh, racial equity, the Rooney rule, and making sure there's African-American head coaches. I mean, this sport is women, <laughs> women playing the sport. And to, I'll, I'll use the word exclude them, it just isn't right. It's, it's, it's saying that they're not good enough. Uh, and that's categorically not true. And I, I respect what Maggie said, that as time goes on and more women are experienced, this will hopefully improve. But in some ways, that's a bullshit excuse. I think there has been enough time. There's been a generation of women playing at a high level, coaching at a high level. And frankly, I think it should almost be a, a, a non-question for women's professional soccer that women are predominantly leading these teams. But I think it should now be getting into the men's game. And kudos to Landon and uh, San Diego Loyal for hiring Carrie Weber and, and, and uh, actually other women, uh, uh, Carrie Taylor, I think, at, at, at uh, San Diego Loyal uh, as assistant coaches. Um, more men's teams should be doing that. Uh, it's not like women don't understand the game or are unable to uh, devise schemes or lead groups. Uh, they can. And there's this artificial barrier right now keeping women uh, outside, which just isn't fair. Um, to, to, you know, I think one thing that we though maybe overlook is that there right now, at least in the U S a lot more money and stability involved in the, in the college game, wouldn't you say than in the, in the program? I mean, if you, if you leave that, that plum job, I mean, you're taking a pretty big risk. Like, um, you know, if you leave that plum job with, you know, your, your big university and jump to a Chicago fire and the league isn't going to be around, you know, is that, does that, what, what extent does that contribute to it? Well, uh, that's a, a true statement that the stability and security in college is greater than in the pro game, but that's the money not what's, yeah, but that in the money is very good, but that's yeah. not what's keeping women out of the head coaching ranks of NWSL. It's, it's just, they're, they're just, they're not, yeah, they're, they're not, not offering them the jobs. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, there's enough talent uh, for, for both. And so what, what should, what should happen at the, the league level or, you know, what, what kind of things do you think should be put in place? Um, 
I think there should be proactive measures by the league to almost work as an HR agency to uh, to push um, teams to give uh, interviews. I guess I am advocating now for the Rooney Rule uh, to um, consider women, qualified women, for head coaching and administrative positions. I mean, one of the you know, it's joking about my legacy being the bubble soccer <laughs> halftime of Red Stars games. I'm I'm, I'm proud that uh, I hired a, a woman GM in Marsha McDermott and a woman head coach in Emma Hayes, who's now Chelsea's uh, manager. Uh, at a time when I I just don't get it, but most teams weren't hiring um, women uh, leaders in in the WPS. And uh, the first intern I hired uh, that Marsha and I hired in Chicago with the Red Stars is Elise LeHue, who's gone on to be a general manager in the league, first with the Red Stars and now with Sky Blue New Jersey. And and she actually, their, their coach is uh, a woman too in New Jersey, which is, which is exciting to see that combo again of female GM, female coach. Um, which I, we should mention the Red Stars have hired two former players this year yeah. in their coaching staff, um, Julianne Sitch and Michelle Lomnicki, uh, which is super exciting. I mean, they're both um, players who are big names um, at the beginning of the NWSL for Red Stars fans and to have them back in the fold, it feels really like natural that they should, they, they'll be rejoining the, the community now. Um, so yeah, hopefully Lou. we'll see where that leads. Yeah. Uh, Lou Sitch, former Red Star player and, uh, DePaul, uh, graduate. Go, go Blue Demons. <laughs> one of, one of your other, uh, I think you referred to him as once as one of your soccer children, unlike Dan, uh, and I, who just wanted you to adopt us, um, was Arnim Whistler. And so wanted to hear a little bit about maybe in Maggie, you can ask uh, any questions you want about how, you know, what, what his development was like and, and, you know, working with him early on and, and now maybe what, what it's like for you, Maggie, working with him with the club as in current situations. Well, I'll, I'll start. Um, Arnhem reached out to me because he heard about this new team possibly starting up in Chicago. And I think he reached out to a Chicago Tribune soccer reporter uh, who then put him in touch with me. And um, you, you can imagine, you know, my reaction when I heard someone wanted to invest money. For, for a team. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just gave them our, our bank routing number. <laughs> uh, but Arnold was great from the beginning. Why was he so eager to get into women's soccer? Was there anything specifically motivating him or did he see it was the yeah. sport of the future and has been since the seventies? Yeah. <laughs> A combination. Uh, you know, his uh, kids played soccer, but uh, he also um, saw it as a, a sport of the future type deal and an investment level. I think that um, he could make a difference. He could be involved and, um, he's a, was a young guy, still a young guy, uh, but at a position where he was, um, you know, able to uh, not work his normal gig as much and, and dedicate himself to something like this, a passion project. And, you know, it, passion projects that lose money 
uh, sometimes lose their passion. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the rest of us, including myself, all stepped away at various points. And Arnhem, uh, God bless him, stayed with it uh, through through the tough times. And that's why last year, when the Red Stars had the huge crowd after the Women's World Cup returned, um, what was it, Maggie? Some fourteen thousand. It was. Uh, it's seventeen thousand three hundred eighty-eight. Holy <laughs> Not not that she has a tattoo somewhere on her body. Or anything, but. I, 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 yeah, no, I, I know that number. <laughs> that made me so happy that day for Arnhem um, to be there and to share that with him and to see that his work was was being rewarded and hopefully just one important step on the way to many more. Uh, So he's been one of those guys. I mean, the Red Stars, I believe, are the uh, oldest uh, ongoing professional women's soccer team in the United States. And it's because of Arnhem. It's because of his commitment. Uh, He's a genuinely good guy that wants to do good work. um, I'll say for others, but really for, for the community. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't contradict that. I, uh, you know, obviously we'd, we'd love to see in the future, a, you know, a, fe- a female owner. Um, but we truly don't have any complaints about, about our ownership, with, which not many uh, supporters groups, I think would say, I mean, in an, in an uncomplicated way. So um, yeah, we feel really lucky. Arnhem's been uh, very supportive of what we do at Local 134. And I think um, th- that's one way to say it, but I think a, a better way to say it is that Arnhem understands that what we do is uh, in concord with, with what he's doing um, and that our, you know, our goals align. So um, yeah, he's a great owner to have as a supporters group because the, like, the only problem is we can't give him enough things to do for us. <laughs> we like, <laughs> we're like, we're, no, we're really pretty satisfied with everything. Uh, that's, we can't, I mean, uh, can you buy us a keg? And then Hazel gets a little <laughs> nervous about that. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, no, he's, we're, uh, he's such a great partner in building this community. So, so Maggie, you, you've got your chance here. Anything you want to, you know, really pick the brain of, <laughs> of, of Peter Wilt on. We're giving you one last chance. Oh, God. Well, okay. So Local 134 is also the oldest women's uh, soccer supporters group. Um, but our, my, my knowledge of Local 134 in the WPS is, is very is very I sometimes talk about it like the Roanoke colony like there are some <laughs> there there are some survivors I know I know people who are in local <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Nicole Hack is my is my like like hinge upon which everything all my knowledge of the um, the previous group rests but um, what it's funny because it's, it has the same name, but they're truly two different groups. Um, How did, do you, do you know how local 134 got started in the WPS and, and what did that look like um, in the previous era? It was, uh, and it is Nicole Hack who started it. And it was somewhat an offshoot of section eight, the fire supporter group. Um, The Nicole was a member of section eight and um, asked if 
me if she could start a supporters group uh, for the Red Stars. And of course, I embraced that. And it was mainly a subset of Section 8, for, for better and worse, I think. Mm-hmm. I think they brought a lot of the, the passion, the knowledge, infrastructure that Section 8 had developed for a decade of supporting the fire. Um, but they lacked uh, maybe their own uh, passion for the team. For a lot of the members early on, it was their second favorite team. You know, they still love the Red Stars, but not as much as the Chicago Fire. And um, the, the, the early memory I have is the uh, opening game, which was on the road in St. Louis. And we had a bus go down with fans. There's a section in St. Louis that was filled with Red Stars supporters. We had uh, smoke and TIFO and flags and uh, chanting and singing, and we won. And we were on top of the world. Um, little did we know that would be the high point of uh, the entire first season. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we did inherit a huge box of scarves from that game um, that we like, we had, like so many that I, I, I don't know if we still have any, but we couldn't get rid of them initially. <laughs> I'm noticing another pattern in, in Peter Wilt's career, over ordering of scarves. <laughs> Because when Madison and, and you might be, well, you know, uh, those of you watching on the telecast at home, you might be able to see my Madison pro soccer uh, scarf behind me. And Peter, that came about because there was a rounding error by your Polish scarf maker or <laughs> what, what yeah. happened there? I yeah. mean, that sounds like an inappropriate joke, but it's actually true. Dan, <laughs> <laughs> what was it? I think we wanted to order 250 scarves. Um, <laughs> And 2,500 showed up. Yeah. Well, <laughs> my, my Polish scarf maker friend, um, he messaged me on Facebook after I ordered the 250 scars. You know, a week later, he messages me and says, I think we have a problem. Um, we, we manufactured 2,500 uh, by mistake. Well, I wrote back and I said, what do you mean we have a problem? <laughs> By the way, all top-level international commerce is conducted via Facebook Messenger. <laughs> I think that's the same supplier we use for our scarves, actually. It's funny, all the little, like, threads that are still connected from, like, days Martin is the best. He yep. gave us a really good deal on those 2,500 scarves. <laughs> and... Um, that's why so many of them turned up uh, around town in Madison, uh, around statues, around trees, uh, around fire hydrants. <laughs> <laughs> you guys did a, a scarf uh, scavenger hunt giveaway, right? If I remember. We, we did. That was fun. And it really helped um, incorporate the history of Madison with the, the, the team. Uh, Madison Pro Soccer at the time. We used social media to give clues on where the scarves were being hid uh, or hidden. And oftentimes that they were historic locations in or around Madison. Uh, and it helped us connect uh, the team you know, with the city. So I, I think uh, that that rounding error worked in our benefit in many ways. Dan, were you worth the, with the club in the 2,500 scarf? <laughs> I, I was going to say, so I, I don't think I had officially started yet, but I think I had accepted 
job or maybe it was like right when I had interviewed with Peter, but I remember him saying, so my problem today, like literally it was like, he had just found out. He's like, I've got 250 scarves I thought were covered. It's really 2,500. Um, and then he, he like, I can see his brain. He's like, but I've got this idea. I think we can like give them away. And um, I remember being like, oh, this is going to be a wild ride working for this place. <laughs> I think your signing bonus ended up being uh, 250 scarves. Yeah, I think I had to give away 250 scarves to get my first paycheck. <laughs> but I'll never forget, like one of my favorite favorite moments was I, I was going to the UW Credit Union to do my, to do my banking. And um, directly across the street is Camp Randall Stadium. And there's the, what I call the angry badger. It's not Bucky Badger. It's like a giant badger and i put a scarf around his neck uh which i knew would piss off barry alvarez our the athletic director at uw madison i went into the bank and i'm in the bank and i look out the window and i see some guy come running out of the building and he grabs the scarf and he takes a selfie with it and he was like so excited and like <laughs> i bet the scarf was there for 45 seconds to a minute uh, before this guy came running out to get it and was so excited. And I saw his picture on social media where he tagged Madison pro soccer. And I was like, this is awesome. Like it was, it was super fun. Well, there you go. Uh, we, Dan, uh, can you give us the FC Belvedere Oasis traffic update before we let uh, Maggie and Peter go? <laughs> well, uh, given that we're supposed to all be home, I hope there is no traffic at the uh, Belvedere Oasis. Um, and I also do want to say, Maggie, I don't know if you saw there. I'm sure you did, but there was that huge pileup on the highway a few weeks ago in Chicago. The morning there was like ice that morning, or uh, it was during the quarantine. And the woman from the news that I watched, she it was like one of the best newscasts ever because you could already tell like she's like very upset with people for being outside and that they're in this massive accident. <laughs> I, just, I was just waiting for her to just be like, it's fucking out of control. Like <laughs> The world is ending. Um, but it was, uh, it was, yeah. So anyway, no traffic at the Belvedere Oasis today. Thank you, Dan. And thank you to our listeners. This is the very serious FC Belvedere Oasis podcast. Peter, once again, you ducked our hard questions about the assembly of the roster. Uh, and so we'll, we'll have to get to those next time. So thanks for listening and see you next week. Hey, thanks for listening. And as you know, it's a difficult time in the community for many people. So just want to let you know that your uh, FC Belvedere Oasis jersey, which you can buy at the Flock Web Store, uh, will help support uh, local food pantries, including the River Food Pantry here in Madison. Additionally, wanted to give a quick shout-out to our friends at the Southside Trap Podcast. It's where we go for all of our information on the Chicago Red Stars. Thank you for listening. More than often I drive so much it is Like my ass is my feet 